Well, hey everybody, welcome again to Illuminate Church Online. Glad that you're there. I want to say a special shout out to all those that are watching in New Jersey. Got a group that's gathering there at a barn uh, almost every Sunday now, if the weather's permitting. And I just want to say hi to the Wasage family and all the crew that are meeting there in New Jersey. We love you. We're for you. Glad you're there. We also got a bunch of people watching in Michigan, Ohio, Minnesota, Iowa. We know that because they tell us they're watching and they send in emails and encourage us. Special shout out also to my brother-in-law and his family watching over in Tampa. Go Rays, go Bucks, go Gators. That was just for the two of us. And if you like those, then it was for you too. Uh, but anyway, I also want to say a big thank you to Pastor Kim, Pastor Drew, my son Owen, who all took a turn preaching over the last three weeks. They did a fantastic job, so proud of them, and also moved by their messages, growing and learning by what they taught. Other church news, it's super great to celebrate. We had a golf tournament a few uh, Fridays ago, raised nearly $40,000. Big shout out to one of our elders, Rob Allen. He organized this whole deal. Awesome fun. I won't tell you who won because that would be bragging. You have to ask somebody else who won. I don't want to appear boastful. <laughs> also, a couple weeks ago, this is huge news. We received a check for $250,000. You heard that right. Towards the Promise of Home, the Home Stretch campaign. Uh, it's coming together very soon. We'll be putting a shovel into the dirt there and breaking ground. Super excited about that. Also, our life steps, our discipleship pathway here, super fruitful, incredible fruit from all of those that are jumping in. We have another one coming up May 30th. Get in the fruit is amazing. And finally, next week, you don't want to miss, uh, our students are going to take over the service even here uh, online. Uh, we'll have our students here ready to teach and lead you incredible time to learn from the younger generation. So, but let's jump in today and uh, talk about I am, you are. God says I am, and because of it, we are. We're learning our identity by studying who God is, all right? To begin, I want to just remind you of a time back in the old day when your mom or your dad or whoever was an authority figure in your life used to tell you this, hey, if you eat your carrots, you're going to be able to see better at night. Like, really? I mean, as kids, we ate it up and you get to a certain age, like, are they just fooling me so that I'll eat carrots? Like, come on. I don't even know. Like, really? My mom also used to tell me that uh, if you drink brown sodas, uh, then you'll have more acne. Like something in brown sodas had something to make acne worse. And so let's just say I ate a lot of carrots and drank a lot of water growing up so that I can now tell you, even at night, that I can see I don't have acne. It's a miracle. But here's what's funny. That whole eating the carrots to make your sight better at night thing, it's actually true. Like, I'm not going to bore you with the science. You can go look it up yourself. But something about the vitamin A in a carrot makes you able to see better in low light. It's amazing. Well, here's another truth. No amount of carrots, no matter how many you eat, is going to help you to be able to see better in the encroaching darkness of our culture. The world's value systems, everything about it, it's not brightening. It's not getting more cheery and better out there. Actually, the world's culture and the state of things is being enveloped, enveloped by a curtain. And I'll just say it, it's a curtain of evil. And that curtain of evil, this encroaching darkness, it causes anxiety, confusion, woundedness, addiction, hopelessness, bondage. I mean, shall I go on? <laughs> I, I dare not. It's too depressing. It's too distressing. 
So today's message, the final one in our IMUR series is called Seeing in the Dark. And I want to show you biblically how you and I together can see, can clearly see, have direction and purpose during this present growing darkness. Are you with me? Say yes. Amen. Type in yes and amen or hit the like button or high five somebody. Do something to say, yeah, I need to know how to see in this 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 time of our human history because it's it's getting darker out there it would seem so i got one verse for you one verse usually there's a lot more but i just want to read one today and you'll see where jesus says i am here we go john in the gospel of john the eighth chapter the twelfth verse this is what we read when jesus spoke again to the people he said i am the light of the world Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, never, but will have the light of life. That's it. That one verse. Normally I'd read more so that you'd have the context, but the context of what's happening here in John chapter 8, verse 12 is so complex, so large, that I'm just going to try to give you a summary. And it begins one verse, excuse me, one chapter earlier in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, we find Jesus and the disciples at what's known as the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. The disciples went on first, Jesus comes later, and he kind of hides himself. And in the middle of the the feast, he pops up and he begins teaching people. And they're like, this guy's amazing. He has so much authority. But I want to explain what the Feast of Tabernacles is or was. I'm not sure if they still celebrate it to this day. They probably do. The Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths, was a festival that was held every year, an annual festival, always in the autumn, during the fall. And this festival would celebrate God's provision to the people during the 40 years that God's people wandered around in the desert, in the wilderness. Before the wilderness, they were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and after the wilderness, they entered the promised land. But during those 400 years, they were in excuse me, the 40 years, they were in the wilderness. And while they were in the wilderness, the the name of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, refers to the little huts that the people lived in during those 40 years. These were small, quick-made, meaning they could construct them easily and tear them down, transportable booths that they lived in during those 40 years. On the first night of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would take these two giant lights, and they weren't like electric lights that you plug in. There's these big cauldrons that they would burn fire in them. They would take these lights, and they would erect them right next to the altar on either side of the altar, and then they were lit. It's kind of like uh, like lighting the Olympic cauldron, right, to open the ceremonies. So they would put these lights up, and they would light these lights, and these lights would have significant meaning to everybody because they're celebrating the 40 years in these booths where they walked around the wilderness and these lights represented something that during that time gave the Israelites direction and comfort during that dark period of their lives in the wilderness. I'm going to read it about it to you from the book of Numbers found in the Old Testament. Uh, The book of Numbers was written while God's people were in the wilderness. I'm going to read from the ninth chapter, the 15th verse, and then I'm going to skip ahead to the 22nd and 23rd verse. Here we go, verse 15. On the day the tabernacle, that was their church that they would set up in their camp, on the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like 
fire. There's a little picture I want to show you. You can see this is kind of just a drawing of it, but this cloud fire was cloud during the day and fire, but you couldn't see the fire because it was daylight and bright outside. And at night, it was fire because you couldn't see the cloud because it's dark, but you could see the fire. That pillar of cloud and fire would stand there above the tabernacle day and night. And down in verse 22, it says, whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and would not set out. But when the cloud of fire and smoke lifted, they would set out. It was directing them. At the Lord's command, they encamped. And at the Lord's command, based on the cloud fire, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. So there in the wilderness, these 40 years, this light of God, the fire of God, represented God's presence with them. And with his presence came amazing stuff. Number one, provision. Number two, protection. Number three, direction. If you remember, during this time in the wilderness, the people were provided for. There was bread every morning on the ground called manna, which means, what is it? It was bread. It, uh, the scripture also records that the Israelite shoes never wore out. They were walking 40 years in the wilderness, and God provided shoes that never wore out. I buy shoes for my son. He goes to recess. He comes home, and they're already ruined. One day, right? Maybe they don't make shoes the way they used to, but also God blessed the shoes. He was providing for the people. He also protected them from all enemies, beginning from the Egyptians all the way into the promised land. God protected them, and he also gave them direction while they were in the wilderness. It was in that period where the Lord gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the law, the Torah, to lead and guide them into life. So, back to the Feast of Tabernacles, where Jesus is sitting there with his disciples, teaching the people. When the people would see these two lights next to the altar of God on either side of the altar during this feast, they would remember about their forefathers, their ancestors, who made it through that 40 years because of the light and presence of God. And they would testify to themselves and celebrate by saying, that God who was there then is still God today. His, His presence brings provision and protection and direction. And then we have this incredible scene. There's Jesus, and I, I picture it now because I've seen The Chosen, just like a scene in the movie, uh, well, the, the TV miniseries, whatever you want to call it, uh, The Chosen. And there's Jesus, and he's looking at these lights, and everyone's marveling at something they're remembering from long ago. Remember when God did this back in the wilderness, and he provided this cloud and fire and led them and provided and directed and all this stuff. And Jesus is like, hey, y'all see those two lights? You know what? You remember what they represent? You know what comes with that light, with the presence of God? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Jesus says, the scripture I read, I am that light. I'm the light of the world. I am the present one. I am the one who brings provision. I am the one who brings protection. I am the one who brings direction. That which you are remembering is here in front of you now. <laughs> Woo! Man, what a moment. Maybe the chosen will make a scene from it. If you haven't watched the chosen yet, what are you waiting for? Do it. Well, back to the light. I want to just lift some truths about the light of Jesus for us to take home with us that helps us see in the encroaching darkness of our times. Number one, here it is. Believe the light still shines. Believe it. Believe it. Okay, and let's just do for just a moment here a soul check. Let's just be honest, be candid, be open with one another. 
have you capitulated to this current darkness? Have you thrown your hands up and you're like, okay, listen, I'm done. It's crazy out there. My poor kids are going to have to live through the worst period of human history. All the illness, all the division, all the hate, all the crime. And yeah. Like, truly, is there any hope left in you? Does it feel to you as if the light of life has left the planet? Whew, we're toast. Well, I want to show you throughout history how the enduring light of the world, the nature of this light. It's just been enduring. It's been present. It keeps showing up again and again and again. If you read through the scriptures, we first meet the light of God's presence when God made a covenant, a promise with a man named Abraham. Now, let me just catch you up here. Abraham was just a man, but God called him and said, I'm going to make a nation through you, Abraham, that's going to bless all the nations. The whole world will know about me and know how to have a relationship with me through you, Abraham. So I'm going to make a promise to you that you're going to have more descendants than there's sand on the seashore, more descendants than there's stars in the sky, and those descendants are going to continually make the name of the Lord famous on the earth. I promise this to you if you will covenant with me and follow me and walk with me. And so they make a covenant together. And the way that they ratify this, the way that they kind of sign it, like if, they were, if, they were, if God was able to sign something, is they have a covenant ceremony. And a covenant ceremony in that time looked like this. You would take an animal, you would cut it down the middle, and you would set the pieces of the animal on two sides. And depending on how forceful this was, if you're like, oh, it's kind of a pinky promise in one animal. But if it's a huge promise, you'd have multiple animals. And so God tells Abraham, I want you to cut up some animals, bunches of animals, cattle and birds, and lay them side by side uh, out like this so that there's a pathway through the middle. And then whoever was making the covenant would walk through the pieces, walk between the pieces of these animals. And here's the point. If we don't keep this covenant, may it be to us as it is to these animals. We will be killed. Uh, we're, putting, we're staking our lives to the fact that we will keep this promise to its fullness. So Abraham does what God tells him. He lays out the pieces of the animal. And then the scripture records in Genesis that Abraham falls into a deep sleep like a trance. And while he's asleep, here's what happens. Genesis chapter 15, verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. God came down in his miraculous light and said, I am the present one and I'm making a covenant with you by represented by this smoking fire pot and this blazing torch that walked through the pieces. We meet the light of God there in that moment. It's incredible. 700 years later, 700 years, like some of us have been alive, we're waiting like, it's been like a year in COVID. 700 years later, we see the light of God again when a man named Moses meets the light of God at the burning bush and God declares his name to Moses saying, I am. I am the eternal, immutable, essential, self-existent one. God, Moses, the light of God, God, Abraham, the light of God. The next time we see this light is in the aforementioned fire pillar. As God's people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, they set up their tabernacle and this cloud fire would come and rest on it. And when it was time to move, the cloud fire would move and they'd follow it. The light of God. Eventually, this light of God moves above what's called 
the mercy seat in the temple of God. So they eventually built this temple and there in the temple was the inner sanctum called the Holy of Holies. And there they placed the ark of God, this piece of furniture above which was the mercy seat. Uh, There wasn't an actual piece of furniture. It's just where God would come down in the form of light, brilliant light, and meet with the people of God, and the glory of God would fill the temple. Woo! What a scene. Unfortunately, one day, the glory left the temple. The light of God snuffed out. Why? Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15 tells us why. Again and again, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to his people through his messengers because he had compassion on them and on his dwelling place. But listen how the people treated those who brought the word of God. They mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord against his people was stirred up beyond remedy. You see what's happening here? God's saying, through the years, I love you. I have compassion on you. I have compassion on my house. And I want to teach you the ways to bring life to the world. I want, you to, I want to teach you the ways to have my light, my glory, my presence, my protection, my, my provision, my direction. I want all of that on the earth. And so I send the message through a prophet. I, and I send it again and again and again. And every time that I come and speak, you all scoff and mock and even kill the prophets. Until one day the glory leaves the temple. Ichabod, it means no glory. That's the word. Kabod means glory. Ichabod means no glory. Now imagine that. They have this massive temple with no presence of God. Imagine a world with no presence. Some of you, myself included, you've been to a church before and you're like, I don't experience any of the presence of God. And here's Jesus sitting in that temple. And he says, I am the light that's been missing. I am the presence that is returning. I am the ark that's been missing. I, I, this this kabod, the glory and presence of God. It's hard to explain glory, but you might, ex- you might understand it when we talk about the weight of a person. And I'm not talking about their physical weight. I weigh 160 pounds. I'm talking about when they arrive in a room, the feeling you get like sitting there in your house. If somebody famous were to walk in like Tiger Woods or your favorite president or a famous singer walked into the room, you would feel the weight of their presence. Like, whoa, look at that. It's Tom Brady. Oh, whatever. Imagine when God shows up in a place. The glory, the weight of it. Oh, my word. It's why the elders fall down at the Lord's feet and they cry, holy, holy, holy. And they look up again and they see the Lord like, oh my goodness, holy, holy, holy. And they, oh, holy, holy, holy. They're just the weight of God, his glory, his presence, his provision, his direction, his protection, all of that. That is what left the temple. And Jesus says, that's what I'm bringing back. I am the light, the glory and the life of God. So the big question is, Where is that light today? And I want to teach you to know where the light is today. Because it's great that Jesus was there at the Feast of Tabernacles. He says, I am the light of the world, but where is it today? You may be saying, I love this light. I love the glory of God. I love his presence. I love that Jesus gives us life through the light. But (laughs) Jesus and Elvis have something in common. Maybe it's the only thing in common besides they have a body and I bet they both sang and I bet Jesus sang really well, but 
here's the thing that Jesus and Elvis have in common. They have both left the building. They're gone. So are you telling me that if Jesus is gone, the light is also gone again and we're left on this earth hopeless? Because it kind of feels like that. Well, listen to what, Ma uh, what Matthew wrote, chapter 5, verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. This is a direct quote from Jesus speaking to us, speaking to you, speaking to me. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He started by saying, I am the light of the world. Now he's looking at his disciples and saying, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And my friends, this is how the light still shines today. Through the body of Christ, his church, through you and me. And I want you to know this light, it's not flashy. It's not like circus tent hype, like woo. Here's what the light of the world looks like. It looks like people who've decided to be disciples of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? A disciple is merely somebody who does what Jesus did when Jesus was in his body. I'm taking on the life of Christ. He is the light of the world. And as I follow him, I become the light of the world. I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I am, you are. I've seen this recently. I see it a lot, actually. But in one particular story I want to share with you, uh, about three years ago, we went away as a staff, had a little retreat. We were praying and listening. We had a strategist come in to help us, a dear friend, Pastor Todd Bolt. And uh, we were examining the heart of the church. What is it that we were created to do specifically at Illuminate Church? And as we prayed, the Lord said to us, make disciples. Like, yeah, yeah, God, we're doing that. I mean, that's what all this is about. He's like, no, 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 no. Make disciples. Like, yes, Lord, that's, that's what we're doing. It's a Sunday school answer you're giving us. God, give us something else. He said, you're not making disciples. He said, you're making Christians. And you're making people addicted to Illuminate Church. But you're not making disciples. People who are laying down their life for the sake of the gospel to go out there and share richly the joy of what it means to follow the Lord, to find life in Jesus, make disciples, and we were kind of wrecked, but also joyous because we had this purpose, and out of that, we birthed stuff like Life Step 1 and Life Step 2, C groups and D groups, and now fast forward to just a couple weekends ago. I'm at the Men's Summit, a retreat that we held just about 45 minutes away from here. Beautiful, incredible time, a sweet, intimate time with the Lord. And during one of our breaks, I look off onto the dock, and it's sitting over this beautiful lake. It's like a really a giant pond is what it is. And I see two dudes sitting out there on chairs and they're just talking. And at first I'm like, man, that's super cool. These guys never really knew each other. That's awesome that they're out there talking. But later I found out what they were talking about. And it's the light of the world. Let me explain. One of the guys named out there was Rich Gable. Many of you may know Rich. Rich is a sweetheart. He's kind of shy, reserved, but he is kind all the way through. He loves to serve, and he has walked through this discipleship program. He's grown up as a disciple in the church here at Illuminate, and as a result, he said to our men's leader, Ty Cohen, hey, I think that I want to lead a D group of men. To, to disciple men. That's what D group means. It's a discipleship group. And I, I think I'm, I want to lead, but he's a little shy. Not sure. He's, he's ready yet. He said, will you, will you help me? And, and Ty's like, hey, let's find somebody to partner together with you, and the two of you together can lead this D group. Well, 
go back to that dock and here's Rich sitting with another gentleman named Dakota Page and they had never met really before this retreat. And here they are on this dock and Dakota, not really knowing what Rich is praying for and looking for, says to Rich, hey, why don't you and I lead a D group together? Now listen, you may be like, that's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. Two men who were just like you and I, living their life, doing their thing, called of God and saying, hey, it's my time. I'm on the earth now. I want to help make disciples because that's what Jesus did. And now I'm the light of the world and I'm going to do it. And God connected them in such a powerful way. It was a dream three years ago. We're seeing the fruit of it now here at Illuminate Church. Men and women leading other men and women into a life of faith. Radical discipleship. Unflinching consistency in the gospel. Woo! I'm excited about that. And just for the record, I want to correct something. There's a song that we sing out there. It goes like this. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Yeah, you want to sing it, don't you? Go ahead. I'll wait. Go ahead. Keep singing. You sound great. Even in your pajamas, you sound great. Yeah. I want to tell you, that song is a sham. It's a joke. It's rubbish. We were all indoctrinated into this delusional song, this message of the song, all the way from church nurseries across the globe, indoctrinated into this garbage, this little light of mine. Let me tell you, first of all, it isn't your light. And number two, this light isn't little. It's the light of the world that comes from the throne room of God, and without it, the world is dark, completely dark. So, church, be the light shine bright, dare I say, illuminate. That's what we're to do. And you may be like, how? How do I do that? I'm in. Here's the last point. Walk without a veil. This is the how part. Walk without a veil. You may say, I, I, I want to believe that the light still shines today, that there's hope in the world because the light hasn't been snuffed out. And I want to believe that that light now shines in and through me, but how? How do I do it? Uh, here's the answer. Take the veil off. The veil is shunting the light, cloaking the light that wants to emanate from you. So take the veil off. You know a veil. Brides wear veils. It is believed, as I've researched, that brides originally wore veils because it was supposed to hide the bride from evil lurking spirits. Right? Can you imagine? The bride goes like this, puts a veil on, and then the evil-looking spirit's like, oh my gosh, where did the bride go? I have no idea. I'm so confused. By this little piece of twill or toil or whatever you call that fabric. I don't know. I'm a dude. I can't even name it. Uh, Christine wore a veil on the day of our wedding, and I believe she probably wore it because she's like, I don't want to look at that mess up there at the altar. So I'm going to, I'm kidding. That's not, she, she looked beautiful, by the way. And she still does look beautiful. Uh, but the veil has kind of become just a fashion item now. It doesn't really have any purpose. But brides weren't the first one to wear veils. We can go all the way back and look. Moses in the Bible wore a veil. Check it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, who wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, writes about Moses when he used to wear the veil back in the old days. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 says, We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent 
the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, a fading glory. Verse 14 says, but their minds were made dull for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It hasn't been removed because only in Christ is it taken away, this veil. Even to this day, when Moses is read the Old Testament, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit? You're like, what does all that mean? Let me, let me explain. Moses would wear a veil over his face when he came down from the mountain. He would go up on the mountain and meet with the Lord. And as he's meeting with the Lord, his face is being charged up, kind of like if you have something that glows and you put a bright light on it, then it's glowing. Yeah, when Moses would meet with the Lord, his face would glow, so he would wear a veil to cover it. Specifically, what he's covering is the fading glory. That's what 2 Corinthians 3.13 that I just read says it's fading glory once moses left the presence of god the glory would start fading from his face with each step away from the mountain the glory would decrease moses had a veiled face we as believers in jesus have unveiled faces we don't have to wear a veil because the glory for us is not diminishing in fact what i just read the opposite is true the glory is actually ever increasing, brightening, the light getting brighter and brighter. It is so because we never leave the presence of God. We never come back down from the mountain. Why? Because the mountain is within us. His spirit lives within us. We have a relationship with God that even Moses didn't have. Moses had to go to the mountain to behold the glory of God. We don't have to. We have a greater level of intimacy with God than even Moses did. <laughs> well, just as God transformed Moses, his face brightened, he transforms us when we place ourselves in his presence by reading his word, by praying, by being in groups that are gathering in community around God, by being in worship just as you are here this morning. The word for transform in the Bible, this is a little bit of grammar right now, but it's very important. The word transform is in the passive voice and the present tense. Everyone say passive voice, present tense. Great job. The passive voice, what that does, if you've forgotten what English is, and I don't blame you, uh, the passive voice indicates that we don't do the transforming ourselves. Something acts on us. We're passive and something happens to us. God is the one who does the transforming. And the present tense indicates that this transforming is currently taking place right now. I'm talking like right now, as you sit here watching this, transformation is happening. It's not only a past event. I was transformed when I got saved. It's happening now, ever increasing glory. God is also transforming you and me right now. Believe it with me. Rich and Dakota, their story, they are unveiled faces. I can see the transformation in them and I can see the light of the world coming through them. And let me tell you, I see it in so many of you as well. And for everybody out there, I want you to know that the light of the world, the transformation of God is available to everyone. So let's close today by asking God to take away the veil from our faces. Would you bow your heads? Would you center your hearts and just listen as I pray over you? Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I ask you right now that you would clearly indicate to every person watching, am I veiled or unveiled? Is the light of God glowing and brightening in front of me so I can see in this present darkness? And you'll know the answer. It's either yes or no. Yes, you're still veiled or no, you're not. If you're still veiled, then one of two things has happened. If you're still cloudy, you're unclear, if you have fear, if, you, if, you're, if you're stumbling through life, one of two things is happening. Number one, you may have never received Jesus by faith and been saved by grace. That's called salvation. It's the greatest gift that's ever been given in life. And it happens when you receive Jesus' invitation to a life with him, a relationship with him. And all you have to do is declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. And the Bible records in Romans that you are saved. And when you are saved, the veil is taken away from your eyes and you can see clearly in this present darkness. So if that's you, go ahead and make that your prayer and indicate it to us by typing in there, I'm praying this or hitting uh, a little bit later or even right now, you can head to illuminate.church connect and indicate to us that you're choosing Jesus for the first time today. I pray that you would do that and the veil could be removed. But here's the second thing. Sometimes as Christ followers, though God removes the veil from us, we put the veil back on. We have the ability to see clearly and shine brightly, but sometimes we get our heads down into the world and in the muck and the mire and let all these things festoon in us and this veil comes back over and we're clouded by the world's wisdom. The news that we read, the social media posts, it veils us, it clouds us, it just makes us not the light of God. And so I'm praying for you in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you remove from our faces anything that does not bring life? The eye is the lamp into our soul. So Father, in the name of Jesus, may we put in front of our eyes only what is good and perfect and pleasing according to your will so that our souls can be strong and the light that is there within can burst forth and make a difference on this earth. And finally, Lord, I pray this, that every person out there would know that they are invited to a life of discipleship, to live as Jesus did when he was in his body, to meet God, to discover who they are in Christ, to become more like Jesus, and to lead others to do the same. Meet, discover, become, lead. We pray this all in the glorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for being here this week. Next week, I remind you, our students are going to be taking over the service. Before you leave today, head to illuminate.church connect. Let's do life together. This is not about just watching something on TV. It's about transforming ourselves by the hand of God so that we can go out there and transform the world. God bless you. See you next week.